Second Samuel chapter 7. We will be considering verses 18 to 29, but uh, for context, uh, please allow me to read from verse 1. Second Samuel chapter 7, and I read. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go, tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Will you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore thus, you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be a prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies be from before you. And I will make, uh, sorry, and I will make for you, uh, and I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and, not, and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From, that, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you Rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come uh, from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall uh, be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision. Nathan spoke to David. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, 
O Lord God. You have spoken all, you have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God. For there is none like you, and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like you, your people Israel, the nation, or the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem, to be his people, making himself a name, and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people, uh, driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself, your people Israel, to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and it will it, uh, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Before we hear God's word, uh, let's uh, seek his face and ask him for help. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening. We thank you for your word that we heard in the morning. Our cry, our desire, our need is that you would speak to us again through your word. We pray that this afternoon we would be called to see your greatness, that we would be called to see the wonderful things you promised us in Christ and that our hearts would have a flow with thanksgiving. Oh Lord, help each and every one of us that we would grasp the truths in your word. Oh Lord, we pray that as your word goes forth, that you would strengthen the weak. We pray, oh Lord, that you would warn the careless. We pray, oh Lord, that for the one who, do, who does not know Christ, those who are still in their sins, that you would save them, that you would call them to yourself. 
strengthen me as I bring out the truths of your word. Help me to be clear, to be simple, to be faithful. Keep us from any distraction and help us to gain much from your word even this evening. For we pray and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. There is a story that is told. It's uh, uh, not a true story, but it's a helpful story of a man who uh, was contracted to build a house for a famous rich man. And uh, he would do this. Uh, he would always get contracts, build houses for him, get another contract and build more houses, get another contract and build more houses. And uh, there is this one time that this um, wealthy man told this contractor, you know what, uh, I want you to build the last house for me. This is going to be the last contract that I will give you. But I want you to build a magnificent structure for me, a, a, a wonderful house for me. I want you to give it your all. And uh, so this man designed the best house ever with all the necessary details, you know, uh, the interior, uh, the structure, everything was well done. And after that, he comes and he brings the keys to the man and he says, here are the keys to the house. I've, I've done my very best. This is among the best buildings in the country. And it's because it's the last one and you have been so good to me. You have given me job, uh, a job over and over again. Here are the keys to the best house I've built. And the man says, no, keep the keys. The house you've built is my way of thanking you for all the service you've done for me. Now you can imagine if you are that man and you hear those words, what kind of joy would fill your heart, isn't it? That you made this house. First of all, you imagine that this man has given you a job over and over again. He has given you business over and over again. And then he has topped it. He has put the cream on the cake by giving you a house and the best house. Well, this evening, dear brethren, as we look at the prayer of David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, I want us to go back to verse 1 and the words that begin chapter 7. Here is David. He lives in a nice house and he decides, you know what? God has been so good to me. God has helped me so much. God has blessed me in such a great way. Nathan, I want, he calls Nathan and he tells prophet Nathan, I want to build for God a house. And when Nathan hears the word of God, God comes back, or the word of God comes back to David. And the word of God is, no, you will not build me a house. I will do what? Will build your house. That's the great God we serve. Where we come before him and we think that, oh Lord, here I am to give you 
what I have. And God says, no, I will give you what I have. No other God is like that. Whom you come to. And he says, I will bless you. I will increase you. I will, as we learned this morning, I will make you part of my covenant people. How should we respond to that? How should you respond to a friend who tells you, remain with those keys, that's your house? Well, for some of us, we would fall down and cry, isn't it? Right? Even though it's very hard for you to cry, it takes a lot to make you cry. That day you will weep, you will not even cry. For some of us, we will faint and just fall down and people will have to pick us up. For some of us, we will be speechless, isn't it? You'll just be seated there and you will be wondering, what do I tell this man? What, what do I do? And we see David in the same posture. He hears this wonderful news from Nathan. And what more can David do? We are actually told that he goes to the tabernacle and he even sits down. He doesn't even kneel before the Lord. That's an interesting posture, isn't it? That he doesn't even kneel before the Lord. He doesn't stand before the Lord. He sits before the Lord. He's overwhelmed. He has no energy. He has no strength. He is so much overwhelmed by the goodness of God. He has to sit down. And all that can come out of his mouth is, is thanksgiving upon thanksgiving upon thanksgiving to the Lord. And so this afternoon, I want us to see that David, although he is seated, he stands upon the promises of God that God has spoken to him from verses, verses 1 to 17 by prayer, or rather by thanksgiving, by thanking him. He goes before the Lord in prayer, in a heart of thanksgiving. And we're going to be seeing three ways in which, or three things that he says in his prayer as he is overwhelmed by the greatness of God. And I pray that as we look at how David stands on the promises of God by pouring out his heart, that we would also learn to be thankful to the Lord for blessing upon blessing upon blessing that he has poured out on us in Christ, in the new covenant. Now, as we look at this passage, you must understand that this is the first recorded prayer of David. Before, uh, uh, when he becomes king of Israel and Judah. Now, this does not mean that David never prayed before this. But the words of David are here captured. His prayers are captured in this one instance because of a response to God's word. Before that, David had seen the actions of God. He had seen the goodness of God in how 
he fulfilled his words of making him king. He saw uh, Saul being destroyed. He was now made king of Israel. He defeats the Philistines. He goes through so much. But now, David sees or hears the word of God. And when he hears the word of God, he is excited. And he pours out his heart in prayer. And what do we see in his prayer? First of all, I want us to see that David is thankful for the promises that God declares to him. And you see this in verse 18 to 21. He comes before the Lord. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? David is truly a man overwhelmed by the goodness of God. He hears the words of God from the prophet Nathan. And all he can do is to give thanks to him. Having heard the blessings from prophet Nathan, David moves into a heart and a posture of prayer. He goes into the tabernacle where he sits before the Lord to pour out his heart before him. And as he opens his mouth to respond to the blessings that God has spoken to him, we see that he, his thankfulness, or David responds to the goodness of God by asking two questions. These two questions that we see in verse 18 and verse 20 are the, we can say the, they encapsulate what God has done for David. Verse 18, he asks, Who am I, O Lord, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And then verse 20, And what can David say to you? By the way, one of the ways that we show that we are over, overwhelmed by thankfulness is asking questions, isn't it? And it's not that you're asking so that you get an answer. You're asking so that, in, in, in a sense, you are shocked. You know, for example, with that man, he would ask that rich man who blessed him with the house, why are you doing this? Who am I anyway? Not your son. Why are you blessing me this way? Why have you chosen to do this? When someone has been good to you, you you ask yourself that question. I mean, why me? Why not someone else? And David asks himself two questions. What these questions show is that David has a or what the question helped David to do is to have a proper view of himself. This is because we cannot be truly thankful. There can be no true thankfulness 
unless we understand who we are in comparison to the blessing we've received, isn't it? You cannot be truly thankful unless, first of all, you understand who you are and what you've received. David asks himself or asks God, Who am I, O Lord? And the answer is, David knows that he is nothing. David was a nobody. He came from an obscure family. No royalty in his family. No fame. Just the son of Jesse, the family of Jesse. Who am I, O oh Lord? David was a shepherd boy. Who am I? David was the last boy. The last born who, when, when um, Nathan went to the house of Jesse and asked him, I've come to anoint one of your sons, and, and, and son after son is called by Jesse, son after son. And lastly, you know, the Lord says, no, 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 no. And, you know, Jesse is like, I've run out of sons. And Nathan has to ask him, is there, do you have another son? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, I have another boy taking care of sheep. He's... In, in other words, even his own dad didn't even consider him to be that much of an important person. But yet the Lord had seen him. The Lord chose him. The Lord chose the very guy who even his own dad who, uh, didn't think much about him. So David, by asking himself this question, who am I? He is helping himself to understand, I am so small, and yet I have been blessed so greatly. David acknowledges that God promised and fulfilled his purpose of making him king. And he did it sovereignly. According to, in verse 21, he says, according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. David here confesses that no one prayed for him. He didn't even pray for himself. God blessed him. And God has again chosen to bless him sovereignly. Oh Lord, I didn't know that this is what you would do with me. I knew about you anointing me to be king, me being a king, I didn't know that you now want my house to forever be blessed. What a wonderful thing. He says, what can David say to you? What can I say to you, O Lord? What words can I bring to you apart from Thanking you. 
David is humble before the Lord. And there is a very close connection between true thankfulness and humility. One of the challenges to our own growth in this area of being thankful and being humble is that we do not see ourselves in the same in 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 the reality that we are we do not see our how greatly we've been blessed in comparison to who we are we learned this morning that we were once gentiles isn't it for us who are believers we were once gentiles cut off from the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We were not a people. We were dead in our sins and in our trespasses. But what have we received through the great son of David, the great son of David, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? We have the blessing of blessings. We have all spiritual blessings. We have been reconciled to God. We have been made the children of God. And we need to ask this question like David. Who am I, O Lord? Who am I? Who am I that you chose me? Of all the people. There are seven, I think right now we are seven billion people on earth. Why did you choose to pour out your grace on me? Why did you love me so much in Christ? Oh, Heavenly Father, why me? And we will never answer that question, by the way. Even in eternity, we will not answer that question. Just like David will never be able to answer this, this question. We must stand on the promises of God by being thankful in them. Whenever we read the promises in the scriptures, we must uh, overflow in thankfulness. And that thankfulness must be mixed in with humility where we See how unworthy we are, and yet how greatly we've been blessed. So David is overwhelmed by the goodness of God. All he can do is to thank him. But then secondly, we see that David not only overflows with thankfulness, as David receives or hears or has just heard about the, the, the great blessings that the Lord is going to give him. I mean, again, let's go back. Here is David wanting to build God a house. And God tells him, no, you want to build me a house? I will build your house. And I will build your house forever. The only thing, David, you can build for me is a house that will crumble. It's built on bricks and mortar and, and, and stone. I will build you a house that lasts forever. 
What can David do? He thanks him for the promises that have been declared. But David also looks at the promises that have been fulfilled. In verse 22 to 24. David says, therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God beside you. Why? Verse 23. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people? David, then as we see after he, he, as he is thankful, he also praises God for the promises he has fulfilled and he has especially fulfilled to his people Israel. David then praises God by declaring his works for the good of his people Israel. We see here that David not only rejoices in what God has done in his life, but David also rejoices for what God has done in the community of the redeemed. Now, one of the things we need to learn from this is that praise is not simply about what God has done for us. One of the problems we have is that we have a very me, I, myself religion. We tend to so much focus on ourselves. But when you look at the prayers in the Bible, you will notice that a lot of the times, they say, uh, those who are praying are praying for saints. Look at the prayers of, of Paul. He says he's ever praying for who? For the saints, isn't it? And here is David. The promise is about him, but he cannot but also speak about God's goodness upon the redeemed. He prays, he praises God for what he did for his, uh, his people Israel. He thanks God and he praises him for what he did to save a uh, in saving a people for, for himself from Egypt. And we see that in praising God for what he did or what he has done for the people of Israel, he also asks a question. Again, very interesting. There's, there's something good about questions because questions tend to put things into perspective. Even in our prayers, again, we need to ask ourselves questions as we pray because they will help us to have the right posture, the right attitude as we pray. And maybe one of the reasons why we do not pray well, the, one of the reasons why we pray amiss is because we do not interrogate ourselves in our own prayer time. We do not ask ourselves, who am I before God? We do not ask ourselves, what has God done? We do not ask ourselves, what has God promised to do? Questions are important. So David asks this question, 
again. In verse 23. And who is like your people, Israel? The one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before uh, your people whom you redeem for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods? This question, brethren, is packed with great theological truth. This question is important. And what David is saying, he is bragging about God. He is talking about how God, Yahweh, is different from the other gods. The meaning of this statement is that there is no God like Yahweh who sovereignly chose for himself a people. And he not only chose, he then went to get them. And then he made them his people. That word, to um, whom you redeemed, the, 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 the statement there, I was looking at some of the commentators and they were saying that the, it's an action word. It is going to get. It is God himself doing an action. He went to take them from Egypt. Now, this is different from the other gods. The gods of the nations, because every other nation in the Middle East that time had their own national god. Those, in, in those times, gods were a national. Uh, the Assyrians had their own national god. The, 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 the Babylonians had their own na national god. Every nation had their own national god. But all of these gods were a product of a nation that already exists which they would then, a nation that exists, would then assign themselves a god. So the Assyrians would sit down and say, we are the Assyrians. Hmm. Okay, which god do we assign ourselves? You know, it's almost like going shopping for a god. You know, which god do we order on Jumia? We, do we get this god? We get that God. No, 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 we don't like this God. No, no, we like this God more. No, we don't like that God. We like this one more. And then they choose one God and they say, this is our God as the Assyrians. And the same thing with the Babylonians or with the Philistines. But not for Israel. This is the one thing that was unique about the people of Israel from every other nation. They didn't choose their God. It is their God who chose them. He promised Abraham, I will make your name great. I will give you offspring. 
they will go to the land of Egypt, and there I will go and fetch them and make them my people. So David here looks back to that promise to Abraham. Yahweh is the God who chooses for himself his people. He looks for them. He sees them. He saves them from Egypt with a powerful hand. And they become his people. The praise of David is that Yahweh sovereignly chooses his own people before they were born in Abraham. That he then by his great power redeems them from the slavery in Egypt by breaking the power of Pharaoh and their gods. Right? You see there, uh, verse 23, that when God was, what happens in the book of Exodus is not God simply defeating Pharaoh. God is defeating Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt. Now there is much more to say. I, I, I wish I had more time to say about that. But God is defeating the gods of Egypt. By saving his people or as he saves his people. And after saving them, he then establishes and preserves them in the land of his own choosing. He doesn't simply uh, locate the people of Israel and then save them. He doesn't now tell them, okay, you go, guys go and choose where you want to live. No. He then appoints for them the place where they will be, the promised land. David looks back to this and he praises God for that. And we need, dear brethren, to pray, looking back at the goodness of God to his people. We sometimes again tend to forget that we are part of the redeemed. That God has had his people. We, we are not the first group of Christians, are we? We are not the first group of those who are redeemed in Christ. We need to realize that we are part of the universal church. When we look back to the Reformation, we need to give thanks to God for what he did during that time. When we look back at the persecution of the church during the Roman time and how God preserved his people, we need to be thankful and to praise God for that. One of the problems we have is that we, are just, we tend to just see what is here. We don't see far. We don't see far back and see the goodness of God. See his love and his kindness to his people from the past. But then more importantly, we need to see from this prayer of David as he praises God 
for the promises fulfilled, and especially how he redeems the people of Israel, is that this is a picture of how we were redeemed. Did we choose God for him to save us? Paul says, he chose us, isn't it? He is the one who chose us from before the foundation of the world. He elected us into salvation. Before we even knew him, he knew us and he loved us in Christ. While we were still sinners, what does the Bible tell us? Christ died for the you and I. Just like Israel, the same way that Israel was saved. They didn't choose God. Maybe if they had an option, they would have chosen another God. Yahweh chose them. Yahweh came and he introduced himself to them. He saved them and he made a covenant with them. The same thing we see in Christ. We were not a people. We were dead in our sins, in our trespasses. We were like the rest of mankind awaiting judgment. But yet, God in his goodness, he chooses, he chooses us. He saves us. And makes us his very own. What a wonderful blessing. But then, thirdly, as we look at how David stands on the promises of God, you see that he overflows with thanksgiving. He then praises God for what he has done for his people, Israel, his covenant people. But then, thirdly, he has petitions or he prays for the promises given to him. Many times we don't think of promises as a cause for prayer. But if you look at the Bible, promises are one of the Things that cause the saints to pray. We see that here David not only gives thanks for what has been uh, promised and what has been done in the past, but he also prays for them. David is not content to thank God for what he has promised. Rather, we see that he goes further into praying that these things may come true. We see this in verse 25 to 29, and especially in verse 29. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. Now that's strange. We, you've already been promised. 
or someone might think it's strange. You've already been promised. You already have the promise. Why are you praying? Why are you praying, David? Why are you praying for something that is already given? That is because the reason why he is praying and the reason why we pray the promises of God is because this is what God has ordained for us. To pray for God's promises to be fulfilled does not mean that we doubt. Because some people say, well, you're praying. Does it mean you doubt? No. We see in the Bible that God is pleased to involve us in the fulfillment of what he has promised. God can fulfill his plans and purposes without us. He is almighty. But God is pleased, which is an amazing thing. Brethren, it's an amazing thing. That the God who is almighty, all-powerful, who can do all, chooses to involve us in his plans and in his purposes by having us pray to him. That's why God commands us to pray. Have you ever wondered that, uh, the fact that, why is it that God commands us to pray, and yet he knows everything that we're going to pray for even before they come out of our mouths? Why does he command us to pray, and yet they, those things that he has said are in black and white, they will happen? Well, we need to pray because he has commanded us to pray. He is pleased to have us be involved in him fulfilling his will here on earth. That's an amazing thing. And therefore, that's why David prays, Oh Lord, may it please you to bless the house of your servant. As you have promised, Oh Lord, let it be. As you have said, O oh, Heavenly Father, let it be to my house. May my house live forever. Bless the house of your servant David and may it continue to be forever before you. David prays. Another thing we need to learn here is that we need to note David's example that we pray well when we pray those promises that are given to us in his word. I talked about this uh, last Sunday when I preached that we need to pray. The best prayer we can make are those things that are revealed in his word. We are not grasping in the dark when, 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 we, when we pray those things that are sure. For us in the scriptures, we are not groping in the dark trying to find out, well, will God give me this? Will God give me that? No. Sure about them. David here prays 
for that which God has already promised him. It's an example for us. We pray means when we pray outside of what God has commanded in his word. Now this does not mean that we cannot pray for things that scripture is silent on. Please don't misunderstand me. But we must align everything to what is revealed or to the promises given to us by God in his word. And I gave this example. For example, what is God's will for us according to 1 Timothy, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? It is what? Sanctification. That's God's will for us. That's something that is there in black and white. And that's why we need to pray. As we pray for job opportunities to be open, we need to pray that it may sanctify us. If a, uh, an opportunity to a certain job or a certain business closes, we need to pray that we may be sanctified. When good times come, we need to pray that we are sanctified. When hard times come, we need to pray that we are sanctified. That's there for us. Pray that. Pray that we may be sanctified. Pray for one another in this way. It's a wonderful and a beautiful thing when we pray the word of God like David. God has just spoken it, and David then prays the very thing that God has spoken. And as he, as he prays that God may establish him, we know that the way that this promise is fulfilled, because God does fulfill this promise, God does fulfill this prayer. How does he fulfill it? We are told that in the city of Bethlehem was born one, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is called the son of David. He is the one who will stand forever before God. He is the one who will sit and reign forever. He is the one who God the Father has been pleased to give him all power and dominion. This prayer is answered. And is answered in a way that is far much greater than what David would have thought. That through David, God the Father is pleased to bring out the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lords of Lord of Lords, who would now be the King of Israel, the true King of Israel. Let me say this: the true King of the true Israel, the redeemed, those who are redeemed by His saving grace, those who are redeemed by His. Uh, by his saving power. And I need to just take a pause here and call out to 
us as believers. That we need to know that in Christ, in Him, every blessing is met. Every blessing that God could ever give us is met in Christ. Because again, as we see in Ephesians chapter 1, in Christ we receive all the spiritual blessings. What we need to pray for ourselves is that we would grow to know this Jesus more, that we may grow to know, uh, like Paul puts it, the height and the depth and the width and the length of his love for us. We need to pray that because we have all that we need in Christ. For the unbeliever, you are away from God's presence because of your sins. You are cut off from God. Actually, the Bible shows that you are under the wrath of God because of your sins. And as you look at the prayer of David, my call to you is that you would pray to God and ask him to save you. He is able to save you. Repent of your sins. Call on him. Turn to him in faith. Turn to Christ in faith and in repentance and he will save you. Even today, even now. You don't even have to wait for the service to end. Call on him and he will save you. And you will be counted among the redeemed. You will be counted among those who belong to God. Cry out to Him. But we also see that Christ, the great son of David, not only prays, or rather saves, but He also prays for us. He prays for us who are now in His household. He prays for us in John 17, 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I have had uh, with you before the world exists. And he continues to pray, sorry, in um, verse 17, yes, verse 17. And uh, he prays that we may gain eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He prays for our sanctification. Father, sanctify in uh, John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is true. And Christ also prays for us. As his people. As those who are part of, part of his household. John 17 and verse 15. Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. But that you keep them from the evil one. He prays that his people may have eternal life. He prays that they may be sanctified. He prays that they may be preserved. What a great prayer that comes from the great son of David for us. This is such a wonderful and great blessing that we have in him. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, we come before you and we thank you that in you we have the promise of all promises 
we thank you that you have loved us so that you gave your own life. You laid down your own life so that we may be redeemed. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you loved us before the foundation of the world. That you gave your Son to save us. And that you ensured that we heard the gospel and that your spirit works in our hearts so that we may be counted with the redeemed. We are thankful. Oh Lord, how we pray that your will will be done in our lives. That we would be those who look at ourselves and see how privileged we are. That we who are nothing. That when we ask this question like David, oh Lord, who are we? And what can we do or say to you? Oh Lord, that we would see that we are, we were so unworthy. But yet we have been made worthy in Christ. We thank you for this. We pray that you would help us, oh Heavenly Father, to continue to know and to experience your love. We pray that you would help us to be sanctified in all the things that come in our life, whether good or hard. May you sanctify us. May you cause us to be those who know Christ, our great King and Savior, more and more. For we thank you, Lord, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.